Have you heard what's happening in Asbury? Asbury in Kentucky, in the US. Um, two Wednesdays ago, at a Bible college, um, they just got together for their regular prayer meeting. And it hasn't stopped. Um, just amazing. And a <laughs> uh, few little extra bites of information. I, I picked up on social media this morning. I saw that uh, a number of, they just put in inverted commas, uh, well-known preachers and musicians have offered their services to, to go and let their ministries be used at Asbury. And the polite response was, no, you're welcome to come, but we don't want to have big names. Uh, you, you're very welcome to come and sit in the back row and just watch what God is doing. And um, I, I just, I love that. Um, when, when I was, um, uh, some of you have kind of mentioned that I'm, I've picked up studies again. And when I was, uh, we were having our peer reviews of our, our proposals and the president of the, the Bible college that I'm connected to in America, he, he was telling me that one of the um, academics that I need to start reading, he, his name is Craig Keener. And uh, Craig Keener has written the commentary on the book of Acts. Um, just to give you an idea, it's broken up into three volumes, and uh, volume one is 1,008 pages, and that covers Acts chapter one. Um, so Craig Keener, and the reason that they were all excited, all these professors are excited about Craig Keener, is because Craig uh, is the latest uh, application to be an Assemblies of God credentialed minister in America. So he is he has just applied to be appendic well Assemblies of God, which is if you don't know, that's what we are um, at Eternity Downham. We are Assemblies of God, and so here we have this this massive academic, Craig Keener, who's going to be an Assembly of God pastor. Guess which university he teaches at? Asbury. Kentucky. Craig Keener's there. So this is not like flaky stuff. This is genuine revival. Um, really, really exciting stuff. Um, very, very exciting. I, I, last time I preached on a Sunday, I said I'd give you part two of this message. Um, and it, it is about revival. We, we've been praying at Hingham for yeah, a while now. Um, in fact, we, we begin on Tuesday, which just so coincides with Lent. We, we're beginning on Tuesday a week of fasting and prayer, nonstop fasting and prayer, uh, not asking anyone individual to, to pray 
24 hours a day for seven days a week and not eat. But as a corporate body, we're doing that. And so I've divided up the week into 168-hour slots. And uh, during the entire week as a church, we're going to be reading the Bible out loud and we're going to be praying. So for the entire week. Um, and so part of that is this series where, where we're saying revival is not about many it's not about asking God to increase the numbers in our church but instead it's about saying God I need more of you it's more not many and and that's the that's the mindset that I'm picking up of with what's happening in in Asbury it's God we want more of you um the we used this example last time I was here about that, that kind of uh, broken telephone whispering to each other. Uh, and, and the point of that is that God wants an intimate relationship with us. Oh, I clicked on that one. Um, you, you see, with the worship, and, and yes, Chris, I, I agree, the worship was amazing. But you know, when, when I was a young Christian, I somehow thought that God was, um, in, in the UK, do you have the Energizer Bunny? The, the, yeah, 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 the Energizer Bunny. I, I thought God was like some kind of a, a worship bunny. You know, that, that, that we needed to worship, and then God would, we, we would be giving God power almost, you know, and that's when the miracles can happen, because then we charge up God, and, and then he can do what, what he, Wow. It's kind of like a, a child who thinks that mum and dad exist in order to give me a nice life. And, and, and our understanding of love is that we, we just receive. And, and you know, as, as a baby Christian, that's okay. It, there's nothing wrong with that, is that we, we start off as, as children and it's, it's, you know, yeah, this is all about me receiving from God. Um, and, and that's not wrong, but God is greater. And, and his desires, so, so for example, and, and please, there's, there's nothing wrong. It is doctrinally sound to, to say God is faithful to me. But even more true than that is to say God is faithful, full stop. God is faithful. He, he is faithful to himself. In other words, God will always be loving. God will always be gracious. God will always be just. God will always be merciful because he cannot not be those things because he is faithful. So when it comes to worship, Here's what I'm beginning to learn, is that God desires worshipers, not worship. There's a difference. I used to think that God needed worship. No, God wants worshipers. We don't charge him up. But when we worship, we draw near to him. He draws near to us. 
And it's not the worship, it's the worshiper. That is God's desire. And so uh, today I, I want us to look at someone who, who was a worshiper. And uh, just by the way, if, if you're t- getting tired of reading through the Bible and it, it's just you know the same stories, the same stories, change it up a bit. Um, what you can do is get hold of a good Bible program. Uh, we've got so many great gadgets and devices available to us today in 2023. And, and do a character search. You know, j- just search out a name. And, and, and that's what I've done I've, I, for today's message. Just searched out a name and I'm going to piece together this individual's story. Okay. And so you can, you can see how this this works, a, a character study. Um, the background to the story is the Ark of the Covenant. So the, the Jewish people, they kind of lost the plot a little bit in the sense that they thought that God existed only for them and that they had the monopoly on God, and because they, they had, you know, this, this wooden box uh, that, that had all these amazing ornate statues and carvings on it, and, and inside there, there were these holy items, and, and many of them actually just kind of thought, well, this is our God. I, I guess not dissimilar to the fact that many people think that God can only be met or encountered in a church. Uh, so, so where the Ark of the Covenant is, then it, it's almost like becomes a superstition. Uh, so that where, where the Ark is, there God is. And, and when we go into battle, we're going to take God with us. So we'll take the Ark with us. And they did this at one time against the Philistines. And the Philistines defeated them and they captured the Ark. So they take the Ark off. And they... Oh, read the story for yourself. It was quite funny. They, they put it in the t- temple of their God and go there the next morning and their God has fallen down and hands broken off. As, and the message is, your God can't help you. Um, and, and so anyway, and, and a plague breaks out amongst the Philistines. And, and so they don't know what to do. Uh, they, they say, you know what, this must be because of the Ark of Israel. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant. We, we, we better send it back. So they, they made these little statues, uh, golden statues, and they, they, they put them on a, on a, a cart, and they, they got some, some oxen, some, some cows who had just calved. Uh, and, and so in other words, they would want to be with their babies. So, so they said, yeah, we're going to test this out. We're going to take these cows that have just given birth to these calves and, and we're going to hook the cart up to them and if they go towards the Israelites, well then we know this is a God thing. So they, they put the, the ark on the cart and with these cows and it goes off. And it goes off to a place called Kiriath-Jerim and the, the ark was, was then taken by this Levite, his name was Abinadab and it was in his house for two decades, 20 years. It was in the house of Abinadab. Let's just read the story here. Um, The men of Kiriath-Jerim came to get the ark of the Lord. They took it to the hillside home of Abinadab. 
and they ordained Eleazar his son. Now, Abinadab had three sons. Eleazar is presumably the oldest. So they ordained Eleazar his son to be in charge of it. The ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim for a long time, 20 years in all. So imagine being that priest, Abinadab. You got the ark of the covenant in your house. For 20 years that's a long time your daughter's 23 just I mean it's yeah it's, my daughter just turned 18 this 18 this week um, 20 years it's a long time or oh, it's a bit small let me read it for you if you've got your Bible you want to read it yourself second uh, Samuel chapter 6 so David gathered, again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Bala of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart. So it's with Abinadab, 20 years. Eventually David says, hey guys, we need the ark. We need to bring it back. Bring it back to my city, David's city, okay? Um, so David sends out all these, the army, and uh, they, they placed the ark on a new cart, and they brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons. So I mentioned Abinadab had three sons, Eleazar, Ahio, and Uzzah. Eleazar was the guy in charge of looking after it, but now the other two, they get given a task of just managing this, this ark. So Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, even castanets, and cymbals. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled. And Uzzah, so usually the names are given kind of in age order. So it's Eleazar, Ohio, the youngest one. Uzzah. Uzzah reached out his hand and he steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there besides the ark of God. Wow. David was angry. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. So he named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it's still called today. David was now afraid of the Lord. No kidding. I think any one of us would be afraid of the Lord right there and then. He was afraid of the Lord and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Wise choice, David. Instead, 
He took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. That's the name. That's the name that I did a bit of a search on, Obed-Edom. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. It was with Abinadab for 20 years, but it was only with Obed-Edom for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and he brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf and David danced before the Lord with all his might wearing a priestly garment or that's the, I think that's a new living translation. Literally, he was wearing his undies. He was wearing his pants. That, that was all he had on, okay? Um, and he danced before the Lord. When he got into the city of David, his wife saw him. She was embarrassed. She said, you're making a fool of yourself. David said, hey, if you think this is bad, I will become even more undignified because of God. Because I understand God wants worshipers, not worship. But, okay. Let's just, Paint the picture. The ark is with Obed-Edom for only three months. Someone gets on their mobile phone, hey David, God's blessing Obed-Edom. David says, I want that blessing. Let's go fetch the ark. Bring it into the city. That's where it belongs. So they head out and it says... <laughs> They, they made a sacrifice after going six steps. And I mean, you, you can picture this. Um, m most of the theologians, commentators, all the rest, that the implication uh, in the original language is that it was every six steps that they took. They sacrificed uh, a bull and a fattened calf. But Maybe it was just the first time. I don't know. But, but I can imagine after, you know, what had happened to Uzzah, one flash in your ash. It, it's kind of like, let's take one step, guys. Okay, let's take another. Let, let's, we've made it six steps. Stop. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Sacrifice. Let, let's try again. One, two, six. Thank you. God, thank you. Let's stop. Let's sacrifice. So you can imagine every six steps, this would have been a long journey. Reading from Chronicles. Now, um, very often if, if you've read the Old Testament, you'll know that what, what, is, what we see in one, 1 and 2 Samuel is often repeated in 1 and 2 Chronicles, just slightly differently. A few extra details, and you could ask, well, why did the Holy Spirit allow that to happen? Well, because Chronicles is the, it, it's written by the priests. It, it's kind of like the priestly journal. So, so you've got 1 and 2 Samuel, which is like your everyday, this is history, this is what happened. But Chronicles, it, it kind of, this is the way I imagine it. Um, it it's as if you're up in heaven, and, and you're reading the Chronicles. You're reading the heavenly chronicles. It's, it's heaven's view on earthly events, okay? So you get a lot more detail, and it's, it's, 
yeah, Chronicles is great. So is 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. But anyway, same story, but, but look at this. Then David summoned the priests Zadok and Abiathar uh, and these Levite leaders, Uriel, Asiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Aminadab. He said to them, you are the leaders of the Levite families. You must purify yourselves and all your fellow Levites. You see, because you can only be involved as a priest uh, if, if it ran in your genes. You, you needed Levite. You, you had to be a Levite, okay? Um, so it ran down the family line. Um, thanks, Chloe. <laughs> If you go to Canada, who's going to laugh at my stupid jokes? But the point is, it was this ability to be close to the Ark of the Covenant, to be in the temple. It was a genetic thing, okay? You are the leaders of the Levite families. You must purify yourself, yourselves and your fellow Levites so that you can bring the Ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. Because... You Levites did not carry the ark the first time. So it's like, David, it's your fault now, okay? It's your fault. Um, because you didn't carry it the first time, the anger of the Lord burst out against us. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. You, you see, heaven's viewpoint. <laughs> That's why it happened. You didn't ask God how to do it properly. So the priests and the Levites purified themselves in order to bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to Jerusalem. Then the Levites carried the ark of God. You see, not on a cart, they carried it. That's how God wanted it. They carried the ark of God on their shoulders with its carrying poles, just as the Lord instructed Moses. David also ordered the Levite leaders to appoint a choir of Levites who were singers and musicians to sing joyful songs to the accompaniment of harps, lyres, and cymbals. So the Levites appointed He-Man. Now that's not the guy from the comic books. Okay, they, they appointed He-Man, son of Joel, along with his fellow Levites, Asaph, son of Berechiah, and Ethan, son of Cushiah, from the clan of Merari. The following men were chosen as their assistants. So you've got musicians, and then you've got assistants to the musicians. The following men were chosen as their assistants. Zechariah, Jaziel, Shemaramoth, Jehiel. If, if you're battling to speak in tongues, just open up Chronicles and start reading. And it just begins to flow, okay? Um, where was I? Shemaramoth, Jehiel, Uni, Eliab, Benaiah, Marseah, Mattathiah, Eli, Felihu. I mean, imagine that. That's your name, Eli Felihu. It's like your mom and dad, your mom gives birth to you and your dad looks and said, that's the most Eli Helihu baby I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, it's like, Mikniah and the gatekeepers. Here it is, Obed-Edom. We need someone to be an assistant to the musician. I know you're the gatekeeper, but pick me. Pick me. I want to be where the ark is. 
The musicians Heman, Asaph, and Ethan were chosen to sound the bronze cymbals. Zechariah, Aziel, Shemaramoth, Jehiel, Unia, Uni, Eliab, Marcia, and Benaiah were chosen to play the harps. Mattathiah, Eliphalihu, Mikniah, Obed-Edom, and Isaiah were chosen to play the lyres. We need someone to play guitar. Pick me, says Obed-Edom. I'm, not, I'm assistant to the musician, but now I'm going to play guitar as well. Okay. Um, Keniah, the head, of, the head Levite, was chosen as the choir leader because of his skill. Berechiah and Elkanah were chosen to guard the ark. Shebaniah, Joshaphat, Nathanael, Amasai, Zechariah, Benaiah, and Eliezer, all of whom were priests, were chosen to blow trumpets as they marched in front of the ark of God. Obed-Edom and Jehiah, sorry, my text is, is missing there, but Obed-Edom, he now starts playing the drums as well. He's got the cymbals. So he's like, while I'm trying to learn how to play guitar, you, you need, I, I'll, I'll do that as well. Chapter 16, verse 4 to 5, David appointed the following Levites to lead the people. So this is now, they get into Jerusalem, and I, I think this is what I preached on the last time I was here with, with the, the, this tent that David put up where there was continual worship, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for more than three decades. I think it was 36 years. Um, so David is now setting up the rota of who's going to worship in this tent. David appointed the following Levites to lead the people in worship before the ark of the Lord to invoke his blessings, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph, the leader of this group. Now, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I think the majority of the Psalms are written by David, but the second most is, is Asaph. He, he wrote a lot of the songs. So here's Asaph. Asaph, the leader of the group. Okay, so he was the worship leader. He sounded the cymbal. So the drummer was the main dude. I mean, that's really cool for drummers. Drummers get a whole lot of jokes like, yeah. But anyway, here's Asaph. He was the drummer. Um, he sounded the cymbals. Second to him was Zechariah, followed by Jehiel, Shemaramoth, Jehiel, Jehiel, Mattathiah, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed-Edom. Again, we need someone to lead, to work with Asaph, leading worship. I'll do that. Obed-Edom, pick me. They played the harps and the lyres. You, you're beginning to get a picture of Obed-Edom. God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Chronicles. Chapter 16, David left Asaph, so the same story, but heaven's newspaper. David left Asaph and his associates before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister there regularly. According to each day's requirements, he also left Obed-Edom. But he left Obed-Edom and his 68 associates. How many? Remember that. Obed-Edom and his 68 associates to minister with them. Obed-Edom, son of Jeduthun, and also Hosa were gatekeepers. Mm. 
We need someone to look after the gate. And I, I, I know some others who can help me. My associates. Chapter 26 of Chronicles. Now we find out who these associates were. The sons of Obed-Edom, also gatekeepers. So you see this, the anointing of God impacted his family. The sons of Obed-Edom, also gatekeepers, were Shemaiah, the oldest, Jehozabad, the second, Joah, the third, Sakar the fourth, Nathanael, the fifth, Amiel, the sixth, Issachar, the seventh, and Pulathai, the eighth. God had richly blessed Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom's son Shemaiah had sons with great ability who earned positions of great authority in the clan. Their names were Othni, Raphael, Obed, and Elzabad. Their relatives Elihu and Semachiah were also very capable men. All of these descendants of Obed-Edom, including their sons and grandsons, 62 of them all. Were very capable men, well qualified for their work. And then just jumping to verse 15, it says, The south gate went to Obed-Edom, and his sons were put in charge of the storehouse. So Obed-Edom had 62 in terms of sons and grandsons. There were 68 that were the gatekeepers. 62 of those 68 were Obed-Edom's direct family line. Wow. And Obed-Edom gets put in charge of the south gate. Now the south gate was the gate that the king entered in. I mean, that, that's like a position of authority. I mean, who's going to be the person? There's probably right now people vying for position for the coronation that's happening in May. So I, I wanna, I'll, I'll stand at the gate when the king comes through because that's, that's the place you want to be. Obed-Edom got that place. Israel goes through a bad time. They get plundered. Foreign kings come in, particularly from Babylon. And, and one king came in, chapter 25 of Chronicles. He carried off all the gold and silver and all the articles from the temple of God that had been in the care of Obed-Edom. We kind of get the picture of Obed-Edom wanting to be so close to God that even when the ark has been taken, the nation's been plundered, the temple has been destroyed, he's like, I can't get the ark, but whatever I can, you know, the, the, those things, the, 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 you've you got to understand the storehouse in the temple was kind of like the bank of Israel. That's all the wealth. Obed-Edom said, I'm going to keep that at least. And when the king comes, well, the foreign king, he's got to go to the place of Obed-Edom to steal the articles of the temple that had been looked after by Obed-Edom.
you get the picture of Obed-Edom. Quick question. What tribe was Obed-Edom from? Well, that's like the obvious answer, isn't it? That's what I'd always thought. He must have been a Levite because you had to have Levi's. In order to get close to the ark, you had to be a Levite. But you see, very often, we just don't take note of the minute details, which are important. So let's, let's just go back. We started off with this verse. So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of, you heard that before? The city of Gath. Now th this paints a whole different picture. Obed-Edom was from Gath. Do you know who, was, who else was from Gath? 1 Samuel chapter 17, then Goliath, a Philistine, a Philistine champion from Gath. Gath was a Philistine city. H how many giants were in Gath? Well, here's a clue. How many stones did David pick up? In, in fact, Gath was known for its giants, Philistine giants. In, in 2 Samuel chapter 21, it says, these four Philistines were descendants of the giants of Gath, but David and his warriors killed him. So, so at that particular time, there were five giants in Gath, Philistine giants, but it, it was known as a place that kind of produced these huge men. Um, the point here is that Obed-Edom was definitely not a Levite. He was a Philistine. So, so let's, let me go back and tell the story again. The Ark of the Covenant gets sent back by the Philistines and it gets to the house of Aminadab. Aminadab has got three sons, or maybe at that time he just had one or two, I don't know, three sons. He had three sons. Eleazar's put in charge of the ark. Ahio and Uzzah, they just, you know, little ankle biters. Um, and, and they just running around, playing around the house. Um, 20 years, eventually David says, guys, we can't leave it like this. The ark needs to be in Jerusalem. Let's go fetch it. They go and fetch it. And... Uzzah, he stretches out his hand, he touches the ark, one flash, he's ash, and, and then David is angry and scared. He says, we're not taking this box anywhere near my city. In fact, I don't want another Israelite to be put in danger. Where can we put this? Oh, there's a Philistine. Let's take the ark to that house. The nearest Philistine who happened to be Obed-Edom. If that doesn't blow your mind, the grace, the mercy of God. I'd, you might not have felt like this, but I so often have felt, yeah, well, God blesses them, I don't deserve this. I'm, I'm just a Philistine. I, I'm, I'm like, who am I compared to, you know, these great and wonderful men and women? 
God, because he is faithful to himself, always loving, always merciful, always gracious, he sees something in the heart of Obed-Edom. I I'd never understood this until I began to study it, is that I, I thought that God had favorites. You know, in the Old Testament, God's favorites were the Jews. And in the New Testament, God's favorites are us, the Christians. God loves everyone. What, what did he say to Abraham? He said, Abraham, this was the first covenant. Abraham, take your shoes off because I'm gonna bless you out of your socks. I'm gonna bless you so much. I want you to be a blessing to the nations. And over time, that was interpreted as, I want you, I'm gonna bless you so that you can have a nation coming out of you. No, no, I, I want you to be a blessing to the nations. And, and if you really read Jesus' entire ministry, he, it was trying to change the mindset that God loved the Gentiles as much as he loved the Jews. But the Pharisees and the religious leaders could not see that. Missions in the Bible, it's all over. God blesses this Philistine called Obed-Edom. Here's an interesting question. What tribe was Uzzah from? He was a Levite. His father was Abinadab, the chief Levite. Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. But this is hard. Th this is a tough point to realize. Because God blessed a Philistine. And here was a Levite who behaved disrespectfully. And he was punished. And I, I don't have an answer for this, but I do know that growing up, well, you, you, you put your imagination to this. What, what would it have been like if you grew up with the Ark of the Covenant in your house? 20 years of your life. You know, you, you start off and it's just this box. And it's always there. I mean, it's kind of nice. I mean, at nighttime, everyone else needs candles, but we've got this like blue thing that's kind of like glowing. I can, I can take my, you know, my books and read them in the light of this sort of blue, shiny, Shekinah presence of the... And you become familiar with the presence of God to the point where you think God needs my help. How many people in churches today 
are taking the things of God for granted. It's just Sunday morning. It's come to church. I mean, communion, oh, it's just that other part of the meeting that we have to get through. You know, come on, let's. Ovid Edom, he discovered something. Psalm 84, verse 10. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Obed Edom did not have a say in this particular lyric. Written by David, but yeah, he was there. You know, I need I need someone to help me brainstorm. Can you imagine? Obed Edom, yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be there. How about putting this one down, David? A single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a gatekeeper. That's why I think Obed-Edom is involved in this. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than to live the good life in the homes of the Philistines. Pick me. Now, I, I am, I'm just so aware of this. Um, when I'd just become a Christian, I, I was reading this Christian magazine and it said, we're looking for young people. I mean, I'd been a Christian for less than three months. It said, we, we're putting together an evangelism team to travel the country. I, I said, pick me. So I applied. And after three months of training, I mean, I knew nothing. I, I, I didn't even know, you know, Moses from Ezekiel. I, 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 didn't, I didn't know anything. And the director said, you know, we're looking for team leaders to lead the teams. Pick me. Yeah. Sense the Holy Spirit saying we, we need someone to, to train up and go to Bible college so you can pick me. Need someone to start an a, adventure ministry taking teenagers from juvenile prison and taking them out into the wild and doing a Bear Grylls thing, but Bear Grylls wasn't even a name then. Um, pick me, I'll do it. Now, now please, I'm, I'm not in any way trying to compare myself to Obed-Edom, but I am saying that there were moments in my life when I responded and said, pick me, and that's the only reason I'm here. There were, and I'll, I'll probably get to regret these later at some stage, but, but there were moments when I'd said no. What I am convinced of, though, is that there is more than one person here today who is hearing God say, I'm looking for someone. It might be to play the cymbals or to learn a guitar, learn how to play guitar or whatever. I, I don't know. To go into 
down a market, King's Lynn, and to make friends with people so that you can introduce them to Jesus. Are you willing to say, yes, Lord, pick me? Let's pray together. Jesus. Lord God. Oh Lord, thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit with us. So I, I, I really don't want to take a long time in this, but I don't want to just hand over to do the next part of the meeting because that's what we usually do. Um, but if you sense God calling you to do something and you want to say, pick me. Yeah. If you feel that, just show me. Am, am I hearing from God? Thanks, Susanna. Any, anyone else? Who's, do, do you want to, let, let me pray for you. Come, come to the front. If you think God is saying, I'm, you, you don't have to know what it is, but it's just a matter of yes. If you're willing to say yes to whatever it is that God's calling you to do, then, then please, again, we're not going to prolong this. Um, this is not going to be, or maybe it will, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a meeting that carries on until next, I don't know, maybe it will. But, but the point is this, we're going to respond to God. We need to respond to God. Um, Obed-Edom had to say, yes, bring that box into my house. Um, if that's you, then please just, just come to the front.